On today's episode of Primetime Kansas City, we're going to go over the MLB lockout, officially going to cancel two series. Uh, We're going to clown on Rob Manfred for the majority of this, I would imagine. We have an interview with Jesse Newell about some March Madness college basketball. That was a good lengthy conversation. We'll get into maybe a little bit of Chiefs news, maybe a little bit of you know draft, free agency, franchise tag decisions. Uh, and yeah, probably some Race other for things. The 10 Race for 10, of course. Can't forget about it. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I want to reverse the script. Um, this week, let's start with D4 of the week, because I know we all have the same one. Um, and it's Rob Manfred. No, I don't think we do. I truly don't think we do. Well, no, I don't. Mine's not Rob Manfred. Well, I'll start. Mine's not Rob Manfred. Well, well we're going to start with Rob Manfred then, and he is my D4 of the week. You guys can say yours later. But John, do we have the same one? No. Okay. Holy shit. Holy shit has this been a catastrophe. So, I mean, for the first 43 days of this lockout, they don't meet one fucking time. They don't even talk one time at all. And so now, this last week, the MLB makes some fairy tale, imaginative bullshit deadline. Oh, if we don't sign it by now, we have to cancel games. The players did not make that. The fucking owners did. The MLB did. Rob Manfred did. And they're trying to get a deal done. They're meeting on, I believe, Sunday. They met for 16 hours. And they get no progress. How the hell is that even possible? No, okay, on Monday, I swear to God, they said that they were going to have progress. Or they did have progress. There is still... There may have been progress. I might have exaggerated it. But they are still pretty far off from a deal. Agreed. I don't understand how. I don't understand... (laughs) So the first thought that comes to my mind is they have agreed to a 12-team playoff. What do you guys think of that? 12? I want 14. No, it's 12. It's... No. Why do you want 14? Wait, because, what was it before? Because... Was it 10 before? There's 10 before, so they're adding two. Yeah, I'm fine with 12. 14 would have been way too fucking much. No. Here's the deal. The MLB is already outweighed as hell, so we might as well make it more luck-based. Make the playoffs bigger. Make it harder to win the World Series. Put a bunch of shit teams in there. Because the reality is the Royals going like 80 and 80 is difficult. So I would rather that help us make the playoffs. Do I actually think it's more entertaining overall? No. But no, it's I'm not. salty that the honest. Royals never make the playoffs. And a 14-team playoff means we'll make it more often. So Does anyone maybe. with the 12 teams, if this makes the wild card a best of three and the ALDS... If oh, this wait, becomes a 12, so I saw this. If this becomes, which it is going to eventually, whenever they figure this out, there are going to be 12 teams, and I believe both conferences, both leagues, the number one seed gets a first-round bye. They just don't have to play in the division series, I don't think. Or maybe it was something like that, but it would make it to where, like, there is no wild-card game anymore. The first rounds are best of threes, and they kind of go from there. Yeah, I'm indifferent. Like, I do think 10 is not enough. I think 10 was too small. Even though I thought, you know, even though it's still, the MLB postseason still damn entertaining, I still do agree yeah. that there needed to be See, more teams. But I think 12 is a good number. I think, let's let's just try 12. And if 12 goes well, maybe we go to 14. No, I no, I think 12 is plenty. 14 is when we start getting to, why, are, why is there seven teams in the NFL playoff? The seven seed will never do anything. But the ML baseball is not like that. Like the, the I don't understand that. But I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I just I can't agree to 14. I don't. Okay. I mean, that's what I'm saying. 
if you let 12 in and it's a failure, if the because right now five teams in each league get in, let's say the sixth seed in both the NL and AL continuously get just absolutely shit on, then yeah, don't add a don't add 14. No, yeah, stop it there. I, I, and I guess that's fair. I mean, I just think if you you got to test it first. The NFL didn't go from six to eight. They didn't, you know, go up two. And just like the MLB, you know, I feel like effect 12 is a fair number. I feel like out of anything, that's probably going to be one of the biggest pros of this collective bargaining agreement whenever it gets signed. Another thing inside of it, though, that I saw was owners were trying to ban the shift. Why in the entire hell, and this is probably a question John would like to answer more than me, why in the entire hell would the shift be a good idea to ban? I don't know. I am fully team shift. Yeah. Um, if you can't hit the ball the opposite way, then your fault for being predictable. Like, I don't really know what to tell people. Um, I guess, like, their theory is that it'll amp up offense and all of this. But, like, you want to know what else would amp up offense? Just hit the ball on the side of the field where there's one guy. Like, shoot. You don't even have to make good contact. You, like, yeah, um, I really don't get it. If you are getting shifted on, it's because you have a major deficiency as a hitter. Uh, figure it out. And, yeah, I think that overall makes the game better. I don't I don't agree to get rid of it. Even as someone who loves offense, just juice the balls more. Like, literally, that's, that's fine with me. So, yep, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I just don't know how, like, they could even try and sneak that in. Like, that would ever be something agreed upon. Like, the player's obviously are in support of the shift it like i i don't even know what the hell is going on and i guarantee you the padres owner was a part of that because he gave eric hosmer a fat ass contract and hosmer can't hit out of the shift he was probably like oh we got to get rid of this shit i paid eric hosmer all this money and now he can't hit but you know that's neither here nor there so those are some of the things in the deal being negotiated i want to ask you guys when do you think we get a deal because to be honest with you I don't think the owners are scared to lose the entire month of April. It's easily the worst month of attendance. I'm glad you asked this because when you look at it, the first two series are canceled, and today they did not meet. They're supposed to. I don't think. I don't. I don't think there's a rush. If there was a rush, I think they would have met today. I don't really think either side is willing to let go. So I can see this going pretty far. Yeah, and I think. And what I was going to say real quick before we dive into this is that I don't think the owners are afraid to lose April because April is their worst attendance month of the year. If there's a month of the year baseball owners probably are closer to losing money than making money, it's April because it's colder in a lot of places and just attend That's other- where they make that's where they make opening day sales. But one game like compared to a whole month's worth of games. And I understand that, but it's like... And it's not even like every team sells out opening day. Like, not every team will sell out opening day. There are teams like the Pirates that I bet don't even get 100% in there because their ownership clearly oh, yeah. doesn't want to win. So... Yeah, I'll give you that. You, you look at it that way, and I just think... And I also think MLB owners are kind of in favor of 140 games instead of 162. I think they're in favor of shorter seasons and paying guys less. So, you look at that aspect of it, I don't think the owners are afraid at all to lose April. Yeah. No, I don't think they are. I don't think they are. And I mean, I can reiterate, I don't really know what's going on, but I don't think it's going to be any quick process, especially given that they didn't uh, 
didn't get it done yesterday. And the fact was, like, late Sunday night, like, whenever the deal was due, the first deadline, it just felt like continuous progress was made. There was continuous optimism. They met 16 times in 16 hours. They were really getting things done, it felt like, and then they left that night at, like, 3, 4 a.m., and they came back the next day and things just went straight to shit. It's almost as if they should not have left that night. They should have just stayed until a deal was struck because they had serious momentum. And by leaving, it just kind of killed it all is what I think. Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, now we can't really tell what's going to happen at all. So, damn. Yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I don't see them all be coming back until May. That's my honest opinion. Which I sucks. think we see a whole month. I think I'll, I'll make this prediction right now. I think opening day for this season is May second. It's a Monday. I think that's opening day. I think you that, want to know something. I think this actually benefits the Royals. Yeah, I mean it's easier to make the playoffs as a fraudulent team the less games you play. Now that and you get Bobby Witt and all those guys minor league, they already yeah. they start April fifteenth. Yeah, I mean, this I would be this. a lot worse. I will say this. A unanimous player, not gonna or anonymous player, not going to say names, who is on a 40-man roster of the Royals, has texted me and said, and I quote, good for the players. I'm glad that we are fighting for what is right. So, I, yeah, I think like I said. I think that's I the sentiment around the league is they're not going to back down. I think we down. see – and yeah, they're not going to back down. And but, the thing is, MLB isn't going to back down either. So it's, but that, that's uh, what I, I want to talk about. Jackson, I think May. Because th- there's no way the owners lose this in the long run, is there? Like how do the owners lose this? They have all of the leverage. They're locking the players out. The owners are billionaires. Someone asked me a good question today. Are the, are the players getting paid? No. No, none, not any money is going to the players. None, none of their contracts are being paid. So this is totally the owners have all the control over this, even though, yeah, they're going to lose some money too. they're billionaires. The majority of guys in the MLB don't make a million dollars. So who's really in a hurry? It's not the owners. I'm telling you that. And the players, I stand with them and I think they're standing up for what's right. But at the end of the day, what's the end game here? Because who's going to blink first? Probably the players, because they need it more than the owners do. Yep, most likely. And that's the sad reality of, I mean, pretty much any labor dispute ever. Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's where we're at. And My question is this. Why didn't – could they have talked about this before the season was over? Like, could they talk about it during season? Oh, yeah. I mean, they've... So my question is, why haven't we discussed this before? Why did we have to wait for a lockout to happen to have all these discussions? Forget waiting for a lockout to happen. Why did we wait 43 days into the lockout to have our first meeting? It felt like, what the hell was that? And I've heard some stupid-ass excuse from, you know, there's the idiots on Twitter that are like, it's the players being greedy. I heard, like, well, it was the holiday season. Nobody wanted to meet. You're telling me the whole damn month of December. I'll give – you know what? I'll give you Christmas week. That's seven days. I'll give you – no, I'll even give you the last two weeks of Christmas or the last two weeks of December. But the first two weeks of December, yeah, there's no reason you should not. We're the first two weeks of January. Like, where the hell were we? Like, that's the most infuriating part is they're, they're, you know – 
running, trying to get a deal done last minute, you guys would have put this effort in at the very beginning. We probably would have had a deal ready by now. So it's just complete, complete failure on everybody. I'm blaming Manfred and the owners, obviously, more so, but it is a complete failure on the entire league. And it really is sad because the MLB can't afford it right now. Their popularity with people like under 60 just cannot afford it. And here we go. We'll see. I mean, this is going to be the second of the last. The most frustrating thing is is Manfred smiling in the press. Oh, I wanted to. mm, I'm not going to make a threat on here, but I actually wanted to hit him. Like, I at that moment, I wanted to knock his teeth out. That gap he has in the front of his teeth, I wanted there to just be no teeth. I wanted to punch him in the fucking face. Uh, he infuriates the hell out of me. But there's nothing we can do. Uh, baseball is kind of screwed right now. But I guess we'll Like just we said, get to... ready for top fives. Top fives are coming back. Yeah, for real. Um, I mean, at least we'll have March Madness and we'll have uh, the NFL draft. So speaking of that, let's go ahead and toss to our interview with Jesse Newell. We had a great discussion about the current landscape of things and the upcoming March Madness. So let's go ahead and toss to that now. All right. We now welcome on recurring guests of the podcast. Kind of enjoy having this little interview towards March Madness, towards conference tournaments. Jesse Newell. Jesse, thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. So. We kind of talked about this before the interview. Ever since you came on, you've literally have had a curse on Mizzou, and it's been kind of rough. Uh, when Mizzou was ranked, I think, like 10th in the nation last year, they only had two wins after you <laughs> came on. So that was rough. So thanks for that. But in all seriousness, um, we're going to look at your ballot for AP, and I think the one that stands out to most people if they look at it is Providence. Um. I agree with you. I do not tr- believe them, but can you give your ex- explanation to why you don't believe in them and kind of how you do your AP poll again for new listeners that didn't hear the interview last year? Yeah. So, I mean, these teams sort of pop up every year where you're looking at these advanced metrics and you're saying, okay, um, what is maybe different from how t- people normally vote in the AP poll? And, and what are these numbers telling us on a per possession basis that are kind of screaming that maybe these teams aren't quite as good as what the record indicates. And we went over all the, the reasons for Missouri last year. And then obviously that, uh, <laughs> that ended up playing out um, for the end of the season, more what way I thought than, uh, than even I would have anticipated, but Providence is like the extreme, extreme, extreme version of Missouri right now, because every close game that they get into, they win, but they also play every game close. I think the last three games they've had have been overtime, overtime and triple overtime. Uh, so you look at their 23 and three record and you say, Hey, that's, that's pretty good. And you can, if you want to go resume wise, you know, say, Hey, they've got some good wins against Wisconsin. They beat Texas tech. All those things are really positive for them when it comes to building a resume and getting a potential good NCAA seed. But the way I do my ballot um, for people that don't know is I try to rank best teams, um, not most deserving. So when we look at best, we look at all possessions. And when you're winning a bunch of close games, uh, by small margins against teams that are so-so. I mean, if you're looking at uh, Providence, some so-so teams have been like Butler and Xavier uh, and, and DePaul are teams that they're beating in overtime. Um, that's not always a great indication of a team that is dominant and or going to be favored by a lot in their NCAA tournament games coming up. So Providence is sort of the ex- most extreme example since I've had a ballot of a team that just continues to win these close games and – I know people don't love me to say this, but it's it's true. Um, over time, 
what we learn is the best way to win close games is to not be in close games. So we want to give these credit to this credit to teams that say, Hey, they're closers and they always make the big play. But sometimes an official calls a call against you that you have no control over. Sometimes the ball bounces off your foot or, or goes out of bounds or there's um, the official gives it to the wrong team and you don't have control of those games when they go into overtime. So Providence deserves all the credit in the world for being 23 and three. I'm just here to tell you when they get to the NCAA tournament and they're a three seed facing a 14, they might be favored by one or two points in that game, depending on their matchup. And that's sort of what these other numbers tell us about them, that while the record is impressive, the underlying stats kind of tell us. You look under the hood and it says, ah, this thing might be a little bit more of a clunker than we think. So switching from a team that kind of is highly ranked, that you're not as high on, to a team that you are the highest on is Houston. And obviously they've been in the tournament recently. They've been you know around. They've been... They're not like a new team. But why do you believe in Houston more than the average person? Because you have them, I believe, higher than anybody in the AP. You have them at fifth. Yeah, and it's funny how these things go in cycles because there was a few years back where their fans were really on top of me because I had them lower <laughs> than everybody else. And uh, that's where things sort of happens. You you get the fan bases that all of a sudden think that you hate them. And then uh, you point back a couple years ago and you, you loved them or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, Houston is an interesting example because – I find myself doing this, and part of the reason I, I do this with my ballot is because of this. It's, I think we as humans, it's really hard to gauge teams like Gonzaga and teams like Houston because what you get at the end of the season is these really gaudy rec- records from teams in not as great conferences, but how do you distinguish them? You know, what if one year Gonzaga's 33-2, and two, and they have been squeaking by, and they're not really not as good as their previous teams. What if one year they're 33-4, and four, but yet they've just been crushing teams? And again, this kind of goes back to science or numbers or statistics. We can know over time that usually we can take a lot of information out of these Cupgate games because the really good teams take care of business and win by a higher margin. You know, they... They have a good efficiency margin. They blow these teams out that you can show. It's like it's like if you put LeBron James on my high school team uh, or if LeBron James and his Lakers or, or whoever, whatever team he was with, the Cavs, if they went and played my high school team, okay? I think a lot of times you hear the argument, you say, well, Gonzaga hasn't played anybody, so they can't be that good. Well, if LeBron James went and played my high school team, he'd still be LeBron James, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't mean that LeBron yeah. James is less of a basketball player. It means he's playing weak competition, but it's still showing that he's really good by beating Emporia High School in Kansas by <laughs> 90 points. You know what I mean? So that's sort of what we're talking about with Houston here, is that they haven't had the toughest schedule in the AAC. And they, you know, the, the win-loss isn't super impressive based off the schedule they have at 23-4. and four. But you look at some of these results that they've had, like, at home against East Carolina, they win 79-36. to 36. Holy crap. It's really hard to fake your way to 79-36. You know what I'm saying, guys? Like, like that's, that's LeBron James against Emporia High. You know what I'm saying? So um, they played Bryant at home on December 3rd, 111-44. to 44. I mean, it's hard to be a horrible team and beat anybody that's in Division One that is, you know, having a, a real roster. 111 to 44. So that's sort of what the numbers are looking at with Houston. And that's why I have them higher than most because sort of how I do it, it's looking at not just the win loss results and not just looking at their schedule and trying to piece it together as a human. It's looking at every single possession and saying, okay, which teams are overperforming what you would expect based off of those sorts of numbers. And so Houston has had some of those results where it raises your eyebrow and you say, wow, that that's, 
only good teams can kind of do what the Cougars have done in those particular games. And so that's why I have them higher than most. And that's why Vegas potentially is going to like them a lot better than some other teams out there when the, the seeding comes out is because those sorts of results throughout the course of a season usually tell us that a team might be a little bit better than public perception. But just to follow up real quick, has your perception changed, Adam, of them at all in February? Because they have lost to SMU. They've lost to Memphis. They went to overtime with Wichita State. Is there any part of you that worries about that? Or is it more you're looking at the earlier sample size and you're saying, yeah, they haven't had the greatest stretch in February, but this is a team when they play at their best that can just dominate? Yeah, you know, a little bit, but it's it's kind of the rule of the numbers again. Um, if you have a smaller sample size or a bigger sample size, you usually want to go with the bigger one. And that's why I know a lot of people criticize these uh, ranking systems out there. They say, well, uh, in November, December, there's all these, uh, they're using preseason priors. They're using numbers from previous seasons to, to influence these numbers. And I get why people would be hesitant about that. But uh, here's a dirty little secret, guys. Do you know why people use the preseason priors in these rankings? It's because it makes them more accurate. It's because... Um, you know, like it or not, it's, it's like college football. Who are the same teams in the playoff every year? They're the same teams for a reason. They have the most resources. They have the best coaches. They have the best strength staffs. I mean, Alabama is a, probably a pretty good bet to make the playoff next year and the year after and the year after because of who they are and what they are. And weird things happening is probably not going to happen to Alabama as much as it's going to happen to Oklahoma State or other teams that are kind of in that mid-tier. So, um, yeah, I, I, I get it with those results. But again, you sort of look at these and, and you take them into context. And um, the two they lost to, SMU was a game losing by two on the road. So, um, you know, that, that can happen. Memphis, they lose by 10. Memphis has played a little bit better as of late. Uh, that's a home game. So that one probably raised your eyebrow more than others. But that's sort of the thing that these ranking systems take into account, too. And not only that, this isn't just a Ken Pomeroy thing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to be diverse here. I'm taking a lot of different methods in there. And I've even added... I don't know if you guys have checked out the numbers at shotquality.com yet, but they are really fascinating too. They're a little bit more of here's the score that should have been in your game based off of how you usually shoot threes, how you usually shoot layups, and then taking all of your shots and giving you kind of an an average number of what you shoot rather than the actual number you got. So uh, that sort of thing is fascinating to me. That might be kind of the future of college basketball analytics is to look at numbers like that. So uh, I'm fine liking Houston. Um, we'll see how they perform against tougher competition because they haven't faced the best competition so far. But like I said, over time and in general, uh, if you see teams with that kind of victory margin in some of these games, usually it's hard to to fake being a good team when you can do that. So I'll pivot off of um, the the specific outliers. Uh, I do want to hear your thoughts. The, the conference that's just kind of been the biggest mess in terms of uh, dissecting how the tournament will work out for them is the Big 12 at the moment. You have Iowa State, who went 13-0 in non-con and has been relatively garbage ever since. And then you have other people like K-State who were terrible in non-con and have been pretty good since. Um, mainly, I just want to know, who do you think is going to like be the benefactor of what happens with the Big 12? I know people have joked that like nine teams will make the tournament, but obviously it, it can't be everyone. So how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think the Big 12 is its own worst enemy right now because you look at these other conferences and what the Big 12 doesn't have that these other conferences do have is a gimme game every once in a while. You know, I mean, uh, if you're in the Big 10, uh, I hate to say it for Fred Hoiberg, but like you get to play Nebraska every once in a while. <laughs> you, know, you, get to, you, get to, you get to pad the victories uh, up a little bit and, in the Big 12, I mean, what's the worst team? West Virginia? Yeah. Uh, 
and, and that playing at Morgantown, uh, that's really difficult. But, you know, the Mountaineers have the second best home court advantage in the nation, according to some of the numbers out there. Uh, they've only lost one game by double digits at home in the Big 12 season, and that was to Kansas here this past week. So uh, I, I think the problem for the Big 12 is that it's so good and so balanced that they sort of are eating themselves right now. Um, you would sort of prefer if West Virginia was worse if you're the Big 12. Like, right. it would be better if they were 0-15 instead of 3-12 and because <laughs> all of a sudden those three wins you're stealing from – potential bubble team that now it's like okay am i going to get in am i not going to get in and while i can tell you all these great measures and how good the big 12 is all those sorts of things there is just something like are you gonna put a 16 and 15 team into the tournament i mean that's just there's still Fun. something to the committee and having the like wow man win a few more games you know but right. uh, he seems to face really difficult schedules so right now i you know tcu probably at 17 and 9 it looks like they're in uh, iowa state they were top 10 in the AP poll earlier this year. Um, and I would assume that they'd be in too, but Oklahoma state's out of the tournament. They've been kind of a, a, a bid killer, if you will, by going six and nine. And so um, that's another team. The big 12 probably would have preferred, Hey, you guys got the postseason ban. Go ahead and, and sit this out. Give, give the big 12 some other victories, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Oklahoma, K-State, West Virginia. I mean, I would think West Virginia is not going to make it. I would say K-State's probably squarely on the bubble at this point. And Oklahoma, I mean, I like their team, but, they're 14 and 14, you know, yeah. you, you got to win a few more games. So it's, it's been tough for the big 12. I, I think if their wins and losses were distributed in a different way, that it would be more of an advantage, but right now they've kind of have some bid stealers in their own league. And so um, probably looking at six, maybe seven. Yeah, probably, I would agree. And that's kind of a shame because I, I do believe it has been the best conference this year. So when you look at other teams outside of the big 12, uh, one team that's, that took America, I would say, kind of by storm as Rutgers, and they've lost two games in a row, had a slow start to the season with some bad non-con losses. When you look at them, do you think Ron Harper Jr. can lead Rutgers to a tournament run? I mean, they went on and beat four straight-ranked opponents. Yeah, and this is one of those teams that's kind of um, – this is one where the, the analytics, the numbers are screaming, you know, Providence – or whispering providence providence <laughs> missouri missouri um yeah it's you know they get those four games in a row and, and and those are all marquee wins three of them the four at home but still you go through michigan state ohio state wisconsin illinois and get wins and, and you're going to get some national headlines and i even think i saw one of the national pieces out there floating on twitter where you know somebody predictably sort of railed against ken pomeroy and analytics and saying records is for real don't believe these numbers but i think most of the time that's just sort of a misinterpretation of what the numbers are you know what i'm saying what they're trying to tell us i mean it's not like ken pomeroy is sitting behind a an evil computer behind a curtain at the Wizard of oz you know <laughs> manipulating numbers because he hates the scarlet knights i mean he's plugging in a formula he's he's looking at the numbers and uh, you know some of these things don't love Rutgers over the course of the season and, and they've been 16 11 against a you know a, a pretty good schedule but they are a team where their resume is going to look a lot better than what their advanced numbers do Having said that, I think that that's the that's the positive for them, right? I mean, that selection committee potentially, um, you know, they look more at the resume stats than they do um, how the best teams out there because they, they kind of want to limit the uh, advantage of teams going out there and, and completely blowing out opponents, uh, even if that kind of shows us how good of a team they are. But yeah, there's some there's some questionable games earlier in the season for Rutgers. They have been playing better been playing better lately and. 
Uh, obviously, I have the two-game losing streak now. But again, if you're asking me point blank right now, do I believe in Rutgers? Do I believe in them more than other teams? You know, the answer is probably no, because over the course of the season, they've won some close ones uh, against some bad teams, and they've kind of had a little bit of good luck and close ones against good teams. So it, it's a great run they've been on, but uh, I would probably be less high on them than than many others out there, and that probably is indicated in my AP ballot. ballot. Uh, you know, compared to some other people that uh, ranked them in the past couple of weeks. So, you know, we've been talking about some of the upper tier teams, some of the more known teams, bigger conference teams. But what I was going to ask you is who's a team, or maybe you have multiple of these, that isn't ranked, that plays in a smaller conference, that could be like an Oral Roberts, could be a team that upsets someone. Because the one that I've been keeping an eye on this year is San Francisco. I think that they have potential to upset someone in March. Who do you think is one of these teams that is flying under the radar right now that the numbers tell you they could get an upset or maybe even go on a run in March Madness? Yeah, I mean, you picked mine. Uh, Todd Golden, I, I love San Francisco. Yeah, someone else believes in San Fran. Let's go. Oh, my goodness. They are after my heart because they are the ultimate analytics team. I don't know how much you guys have followed them and what they do. Uh, they I'm have a, a guy big San Francisco truther. Yeah. yeah, Jonathan Sapphire is his name, and he's kind of just like an analytics assistant coach. They, they study the numbers in the offseason. They trust them, and kind of like more like NFL teams have done, they really dig down into it and talk about these situations in the offseason. So when they come up, they confidently go in the direction of what the numbers tell them. And one of those this year, which, I mean, this is great, uh, they fouled up two late in the game. Uh, they fouled the team intentionally up two to put them in the one-and-one and one, ended up working out for them. Um, and that's the statistically savvy play. I mean, so many of us talk about foul up three, don't foul up three, and really the numbers are kind of inconclusive on whether that's effective or not. San Francisco looked at everything and said, hey, look, fouling up two is what you want to do if the one-and-ones are in play. <laughs> yeah. and, and they did it, and they execute it, and they believe in it, and they tell their players why they do it and the why of it. And they 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 did it, and then they won the game. So, uh, you know, I... I love them uh, and, and potentially what they can do. And again, they're, they're one of those teams where you'd say, okay, they're in the WCC, they're 22 and seven. How good are they really? But yeah, the efficiency numbers do love them. I'm able to score inside and um, at least be able to hang in a lot of these games that they haven't won. You know, you look at their, their close results. Um, you lose by two at home to St. Mary's. That's not a horrible loss. You lose uh, by one, uh, you know, to, to Portland and one to Grand Canyon. I mean, a bounce of the ball goes a different way, and all of a sudden your record's looking a lot better. Um, another loss at St. Mary's. I mean, that, that's not a bad loss. That's probably the other team I'd say to you in a smaller conference or a, a non-Power 5 conference would be St. Mary's. They've kind of been floating around, and uh, they've been a team for a while now that uh, has kind of caught national attention. And uh, Randy Bennett usually has the team playing – a really good defense, uh, rebounding the basketball, and playing a little bit differently than what you expect from a normal mid-major. Uh, they usually get tall guys and play through the post, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But those are probably two of those out there that are kind of floating around and, and probably I'd be higher on. And um, maybe the third one, they're not really much of a Cinderella anymore, but Loyola Chicago continues. Yeah, they're always uh, there. They kind of no. hang around. and so They're always they, hanging around, yep. Yeah, if they might become the new butler if they can – Continue to make these NCAA tournament runs when people don't expect it from them. The guy, these other guys can yeah. tell you. I like. I don't even know how many weeks ago brought up San Francisco, and I thought maybe I was just like looking or trying to overlook something. So I am so happy that someone else has finally agreed with me. Yeah, on the bandwagon. I'm with you. Yes, we're. You gave him too much power. We're never going to hear the end of that one. That's <laughs> a problem. But Give I was going to ask about. Votes. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask about Arkansas. 
13 wins or 12 wins in the last 13 and the the standout in there was a one point overtime loss um they really had a rough end of non-con and start to in-conference season but i think they're kind of an interesting squad what do you think about them heading into march yeah they are fascinating because they were one of the fan bases completely after me early in the season because they were mm-hmm. top 10 ish I, I think they were top 10 and i had them unranked early in the season and uh, yeah, that, that brought about a little bit of the uh, vitriol. But I mean, if you looked at their schedule early, man, I mean, they played nobody <laughs> and, and were not, not killing teams when they were playing nobody. But I mean, it was it was pretty rough during this stretch where they're playing Central Arkansas and Little Rock, <laughs> Charlotte and you know St. Mary's Sisters for the Blind. And so anyway, um, but yeah, you're right. After that, you know, lost five of their next six games and um i I guess i put the hex on them too but that's what's great about these numbers and and kind of looking into this and following through because they really have turned around their season and so i ranked them three weeks ago i think i was one of the only voters to have them in the poll because yeah the numbers improved and they did improve their team over time and that happens sometimes you, you the numbers say what you are at a certain moment and you become better and and that's what has happened with arkansas obviously they got that notable victory at home uh, against Auburn in overtime, another one of those games where if you watched it, um, Arkansas, their credit, you know, they had a big crowd and it was influencing some officiating and felt like it was eight on five against Auburn for a little bit, for a little while there. But, you know, you'll take the uh, the resume victory, but they have been really on a roll lately. I, the question mark with them is, um, to me, the, the shot selection was kind of crazy uh, watching that Auburn game in particular, but they are reliant on you know their guards getting the lane, getting fouled, getting to the free throw line, and that's something that obviously plays up at home and sometimes doesn't play as up as much in the NCAA tournament where officials are a little bit more hesitant to call those whistles and, and give you the same types of opportunities at the foul line that you get during the season. So that'd be my my concern with them, along with a little bit of three point shooting. But again, you got to give Musselman and the guys credit, and um, it's fun to see. The type of celebration they had. They shut the lights off against Auburn. Muscleman's running around without his shirt on and an arm sling, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think the Razorbacks are in a nice position here. And for them to sort of justify or improve their numbers to a point now where you would look at them as a legitimate candidate to make an Elite Eight run, potentially if things fall right at a Final Four run, I think that says a lot about their program. Okay, so bouncing off of that, because this is something I really wanted to talk about, is Auburn. To me, I just think they're overrated. I just, like, they have been dominant at home. And like you said, you know, they might have lost that game to Arkansas. There might have been some officiating that played into that. But a two-point win at Georgia, a one-point win at Mizzou, I mean, that's the second I knew something was wrong. If you're only beating Missouri by a point, you're not the number one team in the country. Is it wrong to think, like, they're not the best team in the SEC? Because right now I'm looking at it, I like Arkansas better than them. I like Kentucky better than them. I think Alabama's close to them. Tennessee's close to them. Like, I think they're very overrated right now. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, well, for one, if you guys are going to post this online, be sure to not tag anybody with an Auburn uh, Twitter Oh, no, account. they hate. They, yeah, yeah, that Twitter mob well, is They crazy. will eat you alive if they, you say uh, anything They ate it. us alive were... when we, they beat us by one. And I was like, you just beat Mizzou basketball by one point. Leave us alone. Like, who cares? I think you, uh, yeah, if, if you want some entertainment, just like my wife found one day at her office, you can just type in, like, Jesse Newell Auburn meme, and it'll keep you entertained for an hour or two because, yeah, I was the lowest guy on Auburn and have been for a while. And it's the same sort of things we're talking about here, which is uh, close victories, 
not dominating opponents, but it's it's just the difference. It's a it's the difference between resume and best teams. Most deserving versus best teams. Auburn's resume is almost second to none out there. I mean, they have amazing victories. You know what I mean? Like you look at their quad ones, you look at who they beat. They have a great thing that you could hand to the committee and say, hey, this team deserves a one seed at this point. But if you look by possession, and again, you, you mentioned this, um, you know, I've got Auburn people in my mentions after they beat Missouri by one point and just saying, yeah, don't, don't you feel like a fool? I'm like, <laughs> no, right? I mean, right? Like, can we only judge teams by win losses? I mean, they beat Missouri by one. Um, that that's That's not... How a number one team in the nation usually acts or performs. And again, you can have off nights. Um, Everybody has off nights. But uh, that's sort of what I'm talking about with this big picture thing. Because sometimes I just kind of want to, I want to look at people in the eye like, like, is this what you really think? Like, you really think that Auburn just completely (laughs) succeeded on this night because they went on the road and won by one against a team that, you know, had really been struggling at the time. So that's... That's what's sort of crazy um, with this. But, you know, like I said, if I tell people this all the time and that, that, that kind of get after me and my mentions. If you can have, if you can have your choice, do you want to impress the selection committee, which is in charge of your seed, or do you want to impress one of 64 voters who likes to look at advanced analytics spreadsheets? Like, I've got your answer for you, okay? You want to impress the committee. So, um, yeah, Auburn's another one of those teams where they probably are going to be a one seed if they can hold on to this thing. Um, and that's a great position to be in and potentially puts them in a spot where they can make a Final Four. It's just going to be a little dicey probably in the 316 Elite Eight because those are two potential games they might not be favored in, uh, depending on the matchup. And I agree with you. I would say absolutely Kentucky is the better team out of those two in the SEC. And you were not lying, too, because I looked that exact thing up while you were talking there. And, oh, my goodness, you you have garnered quite the – there are Jesse Newell hate groupies at this point. I mean, oh my goodness. The first result, um, I mean, there's just a bunch of Auburn people that are going <laughs> going very hard. Accounts created in like the first two months of 2022 specifically designed to go after it. So they really well, I mean, it's really kind of crazy because like whenever Mizzou was coming off that good win against Bama last year and we're all high and then I'm just looking at AP. I'm like, man, if we would have just had someone put us there's four spots higher than where they have us at right now or something like that. We'd be in the officially in the top 10 at number nine. And then I go and I find this AP college poll tracker. And then I just see the name Jesse Newell and I see not ranked. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) And then I'm like, guys, we have to have a podcast today. We're getting it with this guy. And then after the interview, I was like, damn, he has a point. He's right. (laughs) And then you were right. Let me say this real quick, though. I mean, I get it, okay? And what happened with Auburn and me particularly was exactly what you mentioned. Auburn had never been ranked number one in their school history. They were four points away, four points away from being number one, and I had them ranked ninth that week. So I had them fifth. They would have their first number one ranking in school history, and I had them ninth. So that week was unlike any other in my entire life. But I will say this. Part of being a college basketball fan, caring about your team, you want people to take notice of when you're good. I mean, we all understand that. We, I get this from so many people. Have you watched Providence? Have you watched Auburn? People just want everyone to know 
and acknowledge that you have a good basketball team and that you're not being overlooked. So I get it. The problem with this is, I mean, guys, I got a, I got a day job here. You know, like I, I cover Kansas. I, I watch a lot of their games. I break down film of them. I've got stories to write. I do have a family. Uh, you know, I, I like to see them every once in a while too. So if somebody paid me $100,000 to just say, hey, do this AP pull vote, I'd watch a lot of basketball. You know what I mean? The reality is it's, it's just tough. It's tough to do that. And I don't want to be biased against certain teams because I caught one team on television and didn't catch another and, and wasn't able to watch all 30 like I should if I really was going to do this the absolute right way you would want to. So I get it. Um, the way I do it's different. And the way I do it is ranking best teams and not most deserving. But I think part of this, a natural inclination, is people just want to be acknowledged. They want their team acknowledged. Hey, they're having a good season. Rank my team. And so... I got no problem with that. I totally understand that. And when those circumstances rise up there uh, where, you know, four points keep them from their first number one ranking ever, that's the sort of thing that happens. And I get it. But, you know, the other thing that happened, they all got mad at me. They all showed up to that Kentucky game and they had an amazing atmosphere and won a huge game for their program and a moment that I'm sure they'll remember for decades and decades to come. And they earned that number one ranking the next week. So, um, you know, things can happen. And uh, the, the thing about it is if you keep winning and keep winning by uh, the points you should, if you're a top ranked team, then things usually work themselves out. And that's what happened with Auburn that week. And that's what usually happens when good teams emerge above the fray in every given college basketball season. Tell me okay. if I'm wrong, but weren't you on the CBS broadcast? Like your name was on the CBS broadcast. Like a student had your name, like saying you suck or something. No, yeah, no, no. It was, uh, I think it was something like, is that good enough for you, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> That's well, right. They, you know, so they also, again, camped out. They knew if they won this game, they were going to be number one. Um, so they do that little tent city where they, you know, kids, students are camping out in the parking lot and they got their tents up and everything. And um, there were three groups of people that were banned from their tent city. There were Kentucky fans, Alabama fans, and Jesse Newell. This is on their sign outside their tent city before the game. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was put right up there with Kentucky fans and Alabama fans in the eyes of uh, of Auburn uh, supporters out there. So yeah, that that was definitely a week to uh, to remember for them. But like I said, uh, they got the victory. They were charged up for that game, and they got the number one ranking the next week, which we all knew was going to happen if they took care of business. Okay, I just want you I, to know that if Mizzou is ever four points off from being number one in the country and it's your fault, you are officially banned from this podcast. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just playing. If, if that case, anyway, I'm probably going to be banned anyway because you guys told me I'm the jinx. So uh, You are yeah. the jinx. If Mizzou's ever relevant in basketball again in my lifetime, we are going to wait till the postseason. You are blocking March Madness you on talk. Yeah, you, are, you're, you are prohibited until the end of March Madness to come on. Okay, okay yeah. but I got to ask. So I don't want to, like, bring your integrity into question because I fully believe that all of your rankings are based off a system. You definitely can explain it. So I'm not saying it in the sense that you're you're doing it to intentionally rile people up, but you got to enjoy living rent-free in so many people's heads, right? <laughs> like, that has to be a pretty pretty sick perk of being the, uh, the, the analytic voter, right? Um... <laughs> I... I probably don't enjoy it as much as people think I enjoy it. And, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I got to the point where, and you see this, there's guys, there's a lot of turnover in the AP poll voting because with college poll tracker out there, with social media, um, this sort of reaction is not always fun. And yeah. I think a lot of times what people understand is 
I think a lot of voters and, and listen, here's the secret. We get paid zero dollars to be on this. Like the, the, all those memes you saw of me, that, that got me zero dollars from the AP. <laughs> so um, this is stuff you really kind of have to have a little bit of a feeling for or, or a reason to do, because otherwise, why put up with the drama? But I do think there are a lot of voters out there that probably don't vote what they think. They probably don't vote how they believe they should vote. They're voting to not bring about attention to themselves because mm -hmm. they're not getting paid. I mean, you know, like, listen, 95, 98% of this Auburn meme stuff was hilarious. I mean, like I told you, my wife was flipping through it and sending them to me and laughing about it. So it's great. You know, one of them pops up on my timeline. It's a picture uh, from my private Facebook account of me at my wedding with Bruce Pearl's head on my dead grandmother. You know what I mean? So, like, wow. so yeah, some of this is like, hey, haha, funny. And then there's like, some dude out there is like hacking my Facebook, <laughs> finding my wedding pictures Jeez. and putting Bruce Pearl's, you know, head on my dead grandmother. So that's what I'm saying here. I mean, there came a point, I think early on when I did this, there was part of me that just kind of said, look, don't, don't make waves. Just, just do it and be a part of it and whatever. And then what I thought about is like, you know, I do have uh, some analysis skills with these advanced rankings. I do have comfortability with them. I've been around them a long time. I understand how they work. I have a greater understanding of how they work. If I'm not going to vote teams or rank teams the way I think they should be ranked, then what am I doing here? Just go up your vote. You know, like that's the reason you come in here and you do this sort of thing is to, to have the voice heard that you believe or do things the way you believe it should be done and, and not be scared to have a different viewpoint because that's the world. That's humans. That's, that's how we all think and move forward and have a different diversity of ideas. So I kind of just got to that point with this and I'm not going to say I'm going to do it forever, but, um, you know, rent free and heads, uh, it's, it happens sometimes. And obviously people get fired up and it's part of what my identity is online now because people know me as the Ken Palm guy. <laughs> but, um, like again, as, as far as it goes, some of it's fun, some of it's cool, some of it's funny, and then some of it's pretty serious and not funny. And I think that's part of the reason why, uh, a lot of people drop their AP poll vote and a lot of people don't probably vote exactly how they think because they're just trying to blend in. And I just sort of gave up that a while ago. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to vote them. And if the people come after me, they come after me. And uh, the mute button on Twitter has become my friend. <laughs> Jackson, do you have anything else? Uh, just a quick, you don't have to go super in depth about this. I know we've been running for over a half hour now, but is there a specific reason you have Baylor above Kansas? Because Kansas handled them pretty well last time they matched up. And I feel like a lot of people would argue Kansas is ahead of Baylor right now. Oh man. Yeah. So this will be, this is probably like top five on the Jesse Neal unpopular points chart that I always <laughs> have to say, and that people really get after me for, um, Head to head's really unreliable, guys. Um, I know people hate to hear that, and I wish it wasn't true. Um, you know, I wish that every time that Kansas was better than Baylor in a season and they played them, they would win because it would make analysis a lot more simple. But, you know, it's basketball. It's humans. Uh, things happen. And so this actually – it's funny you mentioned Kansas-Baylor with this because this happened a few years back where – Baylor came into Allen Fieldhouse and beat Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. And I kept the Jayhawks ranked number one on my poll the next week. And that was a firestorm as well, as you can imagine, as the Kansas beat writer kept Kansas above Baylor, even though Baylor had beaten Kansas head-to-head -head in Lawrence. But I know people try to say, hey, it can be a tiebreaker or whatever. I just don't think that. I mean, we are smart enough now to look at these numbers, take every possession into account, and find out which teams are better. And Baylor 
for all the injuries they've had, they have blown out some teams. They, I mean, they have some impressive results on their schedule from what they've done this year. Uh, and they've been really good. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to get a lot of different measures here to make sure I'm not having any blind spots, but they all love Baylor. I mean, Baylor has ha- had some really impressive wins this year. And like I said, done it while sidestepping some injuries. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm fine with Baylor above Kansas. I think they are better than Kansas, and I think you'll see uh, – I guess we'll see coming out tomorrow what the Vegas line is. But if you expect Baylor to be about three points uh, at home, then they're probably going to be about a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite. And if that's the case, then, yeah, having Baylor above Kansas really isn't that crazy after all. All right. Now that we're kind of wrapping it up, I want to play a little game with you to end the uh, conversation. I mean, this is just pretty much where do you think they end up or how far do you think they end up? So we're going to start off with title title contenders. How far do you see Gonzaga getting? Uh, Gonzaga's, the, I mean, anything happened in the tournament, but I think they're far above, far, far away the best team out there. So um, they're my pick to win at all. And I, I mean, that's, that's not going to be very intriguing or fascinating or anything, but uh, yeah, I, I think they are on tier all their own when it comes to uh, – to college basketball this year, and I, I think they'll be cutting down nuts. Do you think they're better mm-hmm. than last year? Um, I think that they probably are not yet, but I do not see another team like Baylor was last year. That mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's, that's the big thing. Level. That's a good. So point. I, I think the tier instead of like they were on a tier with Baylor last year, and they're on a tier on by themselves this year. So I, I think that's probably the difference between twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one. All right, let's continue down the line. Illinois, I kind of find them very fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've had them higher in my poll, I think, most of the season. And I'll tell you, one of the systems out there that loves them almost more than anybody else is that shot quality. Um, they've been getting really good shots, sometimes haven't been making them, sometimes it may be a little bit of bad fortune in that sort of measure. But I'll probably have them going further than most people do in my particular bracket, which means nothing. And we don't have to talk about our brackets, but uh, yeah, I, I actually like them and they're probably a team at 19 and seven, probably a little bit better than their record indicates. Yeah. I mean, kind of, I mean, Joe Lenardi, I'm just looking at his bracketology. He usually even gets regions, right? I mean, if you put Illinois against Arizona and a, a hurt Baylor, I mean, they're going to be tough opponents, but I could see Illinois being the team that gets out of the South region. Um, we can we can continue down the line, Kentucky. Uh, yeah, and real quick, like we talked about with Illinois, like Illinois is potentially a team that would be a six point favorite over Providence, you know, something like yeah. that, something crazy. Yeah. So um, that's like if that's a six three matchup, then that's going to be completely flipped on its head. Love Kentucky. Um, you know, obviously I saw them play Kansas at Outfield Fieldhouse and look probably their best of the entire season. But great athleticism. Um, their their transfers have come in and and been great and obviously cal has a tendency to to play well when tournament time so uh if, if they're not a number one seed uh, as long as they can avoid gonzaga as their number one in their bracket uh i love their chances of potentially making a final four all right two more one of them's just a kind of a just want to know but it's his last run i mean i feel like there's going to be a lot of momentum it's coach k and the blue and the duke blue devils yeah, Duke's a tough team for me to figure out. Uh, I feel like if you took the names off the jerseys and, uh, you know, it took Paolo out of there, I, I don't know that they would be getting yeah. the same sort of attention as they're getting now. Um, but, you know, they sort of have rallied in recent weeks and have 
excuse me, had some better results and, you know, whatever it is, they won 10 of the last 11 or, or whatever uh, the number is. So I think they're playing better. I think I probably like them more now than I did, uh, you know, early January, but uh, not completely sold. I mean, again, when you visit, when you picture Duke in your head, I just like think one seed or like Zion or like, you know, just overwhelming talent. And I just don't get the same feeling with this team. I, I feel like they're one of those that could make sweet 16 elite eight and then just kind of easily fade away that that wouldn't surprise me at all. All right. And the final question is, do you believe there'll be a one seed out by the end of the first uh, weekend? Well, so I'm yeah, he thinks Auburn's going to lose. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think. Say yeah, it's, it depends on matchups. I mean, the problem with guessing this is it, it is yeah. a guess. It yeah. depends on who your eight, nine yeah. is. All right, here. They have Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, and Auburn as one seed as of right now. I mean, be, to be completely honest with you, Kansas and Auburn would be the most vulnerable. And potentially you would need a team that like the analytics love that would be a little bit underseated based off their records. So, I mean, I'm probably saying this less of like, San hey, Francisco. Kansas or Auburn, but like a team like Iowa. Like if one of those teams got Iowa in the second round, you're talking like a two or three point favorite if you're Kansas or Auburn. And that's a disaster. You don't want a two or three point favorite when you're in the round of 32. Um, so I would circle a team like Iowa. I would circle a team like, um, you know, potentially UConn if they fell to that. Maybe not going to not going to fall that far. Um, but but those sorts of teams where um, you're lining up, you're going, wait a minute, how did this team end up on the eighth line? Um, why did why did you have such a good regular season if that's the team you're going to have to face in the round of 32? Uh, I think it's probably more about that team than the others. But um, if the teams are, are seated fairly, probably going to coast through the Sweet 16. But like I said, Kansas and Auburn would be most vulnerable, and I would most like a team like Iowa if they were able to, to catch one of those teams and potentially have a good night. All right. Anyone else got any questions? I got I got one last. Where do they end up? Because I gotta I gotta show up. Kansas State. <laughs> do they make it? <laughs> God. Yeah. That's a no if I've ever heard of it. The Big Twelve is not treating Kansas State well right now. Are they? Not. I think what's fascinating, and Arkelis Robinette, he works for the Wichita Eagle, which is mm. part of our uh, parent company of McClatchy. So he has stories going to Kansas City Star as well. They're talking about adding BYU to the schedule next week. They actually have a game that they can make up, and I think that actually would benefit them. That'd be a big win. I, I, I think you want to get them into Manhattan, and it kind of puts the ball in your court a little bit. If you want to add another good victory to your tally and potentially get yourself above 500, I think that'd be a really smart thing to do. But that'd be a big you know, win. Results left. They got home against Iowa State. That's a coin flip game. You know, at Texas Tech, probably a loss, and then home against Oklahoma, probably going to be favored in that one and then if you add BYU I mean if they go two and one over that stretch or three and one if they add BYU then I do like their chances but like I said um it's it's just tough it's tough if you're there at whatever 17 and 15 or you know 16 yeah. and 14 that that, that looks kind of ugly to the committee mm-hmm. yeah the T-Mobile Center is going to have some good games this year I'm very excited for the Big 12 tournament because a lot is at stake in that one for a lot of teams so yeah see how that plays out all right i hate kind of ending it abruptly but the free interview portion of this is <laughs> running out we're running out on time so before uh, it runs out jesse we just want to say thank you again for coming on the podcast we enjoy talking to you enjoy just getting the statistic reasoning behind all your ap voting and just call back college basketball in general so once again we appreciate you coming on 
Hey, thanks for having me. And if I can do this officially, I'm I'm removing the hex from Missouri that I placed upon them. So good luck, Tigers. Woo! Uh, Martin will be out by tomorrow. tomorrow, baby. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jesse. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again, Jesse, for coming on. We are 100% looking forward to March Madness. Uh, you know, we're just like, what, a week and a half out of Selection Sunday right now? One thing that needs to be said, too, is yeah. before that interview was recorded before last Saturday happened. Oh, yeah. So Jesse Newell definitely has some type of, like, powers. Yeah, he yeah, is powered. ridiculous. The first time ever all top six teams lost in the same day. Which, I mean, it was crazy enough when, like, two through six lost. But I was like, there's no way Gonzaga's losing to St. Mary's. Yeah, same. There you go. Number one through six lost. And so it's kind of hectic Do you right guys now. want to talk about the AP poll and, like, talk about where, what we think? I don't mean to speak for John, but I don't think he knows much about it. But I am down to talk about it. Well, I mean, I feel like, John, yeah. John you have to know a little bit, like, where teams you think should belong. I mean, I can't really give real. Do you, you think Arizona should stay at the two spot after losing to Colorado? Now, a non-tournament. I literally have never watched Arizona. I have. I can't name a single. I haven't either. You say that, either. Josh. I have, and you say that, Josh. But Arizona last night went into USC, who's I think they were 16th, and beat the dog shit out of them. I mean, it wasn't even close. I think Arizona's a, maybe two is too high, but they're top five still. That loss doesn't change. I that agree. For me. I think I think the I think the top five should be one Gonzaga, th- two Baylor, three Duke, four Arizona, and five Auburn. I'm gonna be honest. I think there's a legitimate possibility that we see a team lower than a four. I think that there's a very good chance a five seed or lower might win March Madness this year because there's just really so many like good teams but there's no like there's just have to Gonzaga lose like I think that's something we need to talk about Gonzaga lost to St. Mary's and the fact that they kept number one and got majority or 46 out of 60 something first place votes they're the top overall seed in the bracket and the fact that no one's even argument arguing that I think that's something that we need to talk about because it's like well Gonzaga is like it's Gonzaga and everyone else. Kind of like what Jesse talked about in the interview is like it's a it's a plain pick, but it's like when you look at teams and who they have, it's like Gonzaga is just so much stronger than any other team right now. I really like going into this tournament, Kentucky, because they it's like the first time I feel like they're not just a bunch of freshmen. You have a good amount of sophomores and juniors on this team that are contributing, and, and they only get better and better. Yeah, like there's honestly most most of the time Kentucky's weaknesses they have a bunch of eighteen and nineteen year olds who will lose to a team of seniors. That's really good, or a team of like they'll get far in the tournament, but an experienced team like a Virginia will beat them. This year, Kentucky is the experienced team, and I just think it's going to be damn tough at a neutral site to beat them. So that's you know that's my little insight <laughs> before uh, we go into conference tournament play. Do we even need to talk about Mizzou? I mean, I, can we skip that? Because in all honesty, Martin isn't fired, then I I will. If he is not fired by next, like once this season ends, if he is the head coach come next November, please everyone, and this includes you, Josh, please don't show up to the stadium, please. As Mizzou, and I will root for a different team. Please just don't go to the games anymore, because if they do that shit, they do not care. They do not care about anybody. Well, here's the problem: it they. 
they will lose a lot of money if they fire him before May. But if they don't fire him before May, who the hell are they going to hire? Right, right. I mean, so, I haven't thought about gonna, it like that. But... They're going to wait a rotation. Like, he's going to be the we coach. We can't. Sure. We can't, bro. Do you think Sean Miller would be a good hire? Bro, you're telling me if we went and fired him in May that we couldn't go get Kim English? Like, I'm not saying Dude. Kim English is the right guy for the job, but I'm sure we could get Kim English if we needed to. Like, I, I agree. I'm so anti-Kim English. No, I like Kim English, but, like, yeah. we got to aspire higher than that. anti-Kim English, though? No, I agree. I see what he's saying. We need a what, – What do you think we're going to do? He's coached one year. Yeah, like, and they're not that good. So, like, I I wouldn't, like – it wouldn't I mean, be the he worst. recruits. Kim now, English has gotten the first would I, recruit. Would I rather have – Kim English or Conzo Martin as my head coach? Kim English, 100%. Kim English. But I would They're rather 14 have... and 14. They're better than us. I know, but I'd rather have John Alvey as my head coach at Mizzou than Conzo Martin. That's not no. saying anything. Uh-oh. So, you know, I just... That would be hilarious. Oh, it would be... Uh, Brian Davis would win more games at Mizzou than Conzo Martin. Um, that's an inside joke. George Mason is 107 in that ranking. Well, Brian would be nothing without his assistant. Or, yeah, so. Burrell, Brian Davis, and Jamarcus would fucking win a national championship at Missouri. No, Jamarcus is dead, dude. Jamarcus is now <laughs> Jamarcus is not dead. Yes, he is. He's in jail. He's now coised across the pond. Jamarcus is probably in jail. Jamarcus got arrested. No. He uh, has to register, man. Nobody knows what 50, the hell we're talking about. There's a 50 gap in net ranking between George Mason and Mizzou. And George Mason is the better team. I know. Like, but what I'm saying is I want a more credible coach. Mizzou. I want somebody that has done something. He really hasn't, if we're being fair. He hasn't had a chance to, really. He's only a year in, but he hasn't. I don't want a hire of a guy who has very little experience. I want a guy who has a proven track record. I, Sean Miller. I can't do this anymore. Did you guys just? And the reality is, why would one of them want to take our job? Exactly. He's coming off. He's coming off a cheating allegation. No one's going to hire him except someone that needs a a coach. Go get Rick Pitino. Fuck it. We will stoop. No. Okay. No. No. This is something I've actually thought about. Ever since Iona played Bama last year in the first round of the playoffs or March Madness, I'm like, okay. Now that Rick Pitino has been on Iona for two or three years, would it be bad if we hired him? No. It would be fine. I would rather have Rick Pitino, with all of his issues at head coach, be our guy than a perfect citizen, Quanzo Martin, be our head coach. Like, I would. And it's probably not going to happen, to be fair, but whatever. And, you know, I'm just sick of this. We messed up this hire. The Kim Anderson hire was just absolutely atrocious. I don't know if you guys saw. He just retired from Pitt State after going 8-21 and this year. Uh, that that yeah. says a lot. We had a guy as our SEC head coach that can't win 10 games at Pitt State. Uh, hey, the MIAA conference just means more. Don't shit talk that more. conference. Uh, yep, fair, fair, whatever. Piss up a rope. Um, yeah, I mean, I never would have thought when we parted ways with Frank Haith that I would have missed him that much, but I really, really miss Frank Haith. I actually didn't miss him after we left or we parted ways. I didn't like I said I didn't think it would be great, but I didn't think it would be this bad. Like I didn't I didn't I thought we'd be able to find a coach. Well, I knew I little me even knew it was going to be bad. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how I felt when Gary Pinkle 
ended up stepping or retiring. Yes. I was like, I remember oh, when, when we when we played BYU at Arrowhead, it was Gary Pinkle's second to last game and we lost. I was like, and he's leaving? <laughs> yeah, though it was I'm like, uh, we are fucked. <laughs> and I knew right then we were in some trouble. But yeah, it's sad. They need to hire a new head coach. I'd be in favor of honestly, if you have to fire Conzo at May for the money can, money aspect of it, of just hiring a one year guy like a fucking David Coley of the Texans. You know you're not gonna fucking keep him any longer than a year, but you just need a guy. I don't to fill think you year. see that in college basketball well, because then you can't recruit. I don't know. Do you think if Conzo gets fired, we lose Aiden Shaw? I mean, that's another. Yes. Question. Yes. And, and I was I saw something. We should not be worried to lose Aiden Shaw if we want to win in the future. Oh, 100%. Aiden Shaw blows crap. <laughs> we don't well, need. We're never getting. We but like one player, like yeah, I would rather change head coach than get a one four star. I agree. And he's barely a four star. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, fuck, half these guys on our team right now are three stars, and they're fucking terrible. Like, next year, realistically, I want Kobe back, I want Caleb back, because Caleb off the bench has actually, in the limited role he's had, shown some things. I think he could... Brazil? Brazil, I really want Brazil back, and I tell you, the other guy I like is Amari Davis. I think he's a good player. Everybody else is pretty bad, and Pickett's okay, but he's a senior, so... Everybody else, I would not mind losing to Gray. I would not mind losing to Juan Gordon. I would love Jordan Willmore to transfer. I wouldn't mind losing, well, Brookshire. That dude doesn't even play. The Browns. If Kobe's, if Caleb stays, then that means Kobe's staying. Yeah, if the Browns stay, Brazil stays, and Amari Davis stays. Honestly. And to be honest, I like that squad. And maybe Boogie Coleman. He's not terrible, I guess. You might. Is a senior? John Dejuan's a junior, unfortunately. He's yeah. Dejuan's still. He could transfer, I guess. Yeah, he can transfer. But I'm pretty much done with him. He blows. (laughs) He's blown for for two of John's teams now. John goes to Mizzou. Tries to get away from K State. Smith is like actually pretty damn good this year. Oh yeah, of course. Just he's doubled his rebounds. Yeah, of course. Somehow, like what the piss? But yeah. There's your breakdown there. Sad, sad breakdown. Um, is it? Is it time to go to professional basketball? Not quite yet because uh, I was going to go to the Chiefs real quick. And yeah. Do a real quick Chiefs thing. John, I'd like to let you know I've officially switched sides to the either let him walk or trade to Ron Matthew camp. It is. I've officially gotten there. It's No. It's taken I have some, some time. extremely strong takes about this. Okay, I, I I'm there. I want him gone. So, and it's not even necessarily about Tyron Matthew, but it kind of is. It goes along with another player. For one, I have seen that Orlando Brown is being called a tag and talk about he an is getting situation. What the hell? What the actual hell? What's the point of that? You're just going to pay him the same amount you would have this offseason later on. You gave up a first-round pick for his ass. Piss or get off the pot. Give him a deal. Use the tag so that you can turn Matthew into trade capital. I, I, yeah. I, I, look, it's not, like, horrible, but I don't understand really tagging Orlando Brown unless the plan is to tag him again and then trade him next year. 
because even you're going to end up sense. paying him a similar figure and maybe even more for just next year. Just with the way the tag a player two times in a row. You can tag him I two times in a row. Someone, you can. I feel like Kirk Cousins got tagged two or three times in a row. <laughs> Really screwed him over. I, I mean, I guess I you just said you can't be tagged two times. No, you can't. You can. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's every single time you, you tag someone another year, it's more. That's probably true. Uh, but I did say I did see that the Chiefs started contract negotiations with Terrell Matthew. So, uh, John, well, I, did I, you see the quote Andy Reid said? He said, "We're either going to let him walk or we're going to re-sign him." And it's like that. That though, that is right, Andy Reid. He will either be back or he won't. That well, is. I know it's right, but it's like that's his response. It's like I think we. I I'm agreeing with you guys. I think we see him walk. I I like I think him, we're gonna sign him back, but it's just because you look at it and you can make it work this year. Like honestly, you can. And with if you cut Frank Clark, which you should, then you're gonna either tag Brown and give Honey Badger. So we're trying to trade Frank Clark. Ah, who get, who wants that piece of shit? But Frank also could sign for his dead cap value. Frank also, I've seen the Chiefs, which this would not really help free agency-wise, but the dead cap number on him is significantly less if they cut him after June 1st. Now, I don't know if we've talked about this on this podcast before. I feel like we have, that if he's on this roster June 1st, he's probably going to play. But, yeah, that is just another thing. In his contract, after June 1st, we could save a lot of money cutting him. We still can, but right now, but we would save even more then. But then you can't spend huh. it in free agency, so it really doesn't matter, not really. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I'm officially team trade Theron Matthew or let him walk because look at next year. Guess whose contract's up? Tyreek Hill. You better pay him. You better have the capital to pay that guy. So, yeah, I think. Uh, well, okay, I talked about this on the radio with some of my buddies. Yeah. Do you think Tyreek Hill would take less to no. remain a chief, or do you think he owes money? No, I think he already. I, said he, I, said he goes, I think I think he goes after the money. He already has a ring. He has nothing to win. I mean, there was a report today that the Chiefs were eyeing an extension for Hill already. So that kind which of which is probably the smart move. Oh, it is. You don't want to get it. I mean, if worse came to absolute worst, they would franchise tag him next year. So, you know, it's like not the end of the world, but, you know, you got to make something work because McCall Hardman's up after next year, too. McCall Hardman's getting cut. All right. He's not getting re signed. Just saying, though, you're like, you've got to have a plan at receiver going forward. Well, wide receiver has to be a high draft priority, too. I wouldn't I mean, even be mad if it was a first round pick if they went. I know. I, I've said the same no, thing. No, no, I mean, no. Hell no. Hell if no. If they went Jamison Williams at, what are they picking? 29th or 30th? If they went Jamison Williams at 30th because he fell there because of his ACL injury, I'd be thrilled. Like they Is that the dude from Bama? Yeah. Just like, I don't understand. Like, granted, like, is wide receiver our top need? No, probably not. But. We can't sit here and act like it's not a need because outside of Tyree Kill, who's on the roster? McCall Hardman, that's it. Pringle's a free agent. What about Marcus Robinson? Robinson's a free agent. Like if we don't, I think you can re-sign them for good deals, and then it's like you got. We've done that with Demarcus the last two years, and I'm kind of done with it. Demarcus, I don't need him anymore. Pringle, Uh yes, I would be fine with bringing Pringle back, but you know. 
I don't know. There's your little Chiefs talk. Uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about coming up. Free agency starts March 16th. They have to tag their guy. They cannot tag a guy after March 8th. So in the next six days, they have to make that decision. If who they're going to tag. Tuesday the 8th, they have to tag him. That's the deadline. Alright, so yeah, Josh, now we'll go into professional basketball for race for the 10th seed, and hopefully you're not in as bad as a mood this time for it. He might be in a worse mood, because I don't hear him saying anything. What the f- What the hell? He's probably... Alright. Alright, there he is. You guys there he is. Me. Race for the 10th seed. Bitch, All right. let's go. Anyway, here we go. I will, as I was saying, next month, expect to hear uh, Kent Swanson for the third annual uh, mock draft preview. Oh, yeah. Always enjoy having Kent on. Yeah, but here that. we go. 14 seed coming in is your fucking Sacramento Kings at 23 and 40. They're about to be fucking 23 and 41 because my McNair's <laughs> bitch ass is a fucking piece of shit. Coming in, it's Greg Popovich. He's a little bitch. He, I don't know how he's still coaching. To be honest, the fucker should be gone. It's your San Antonio Spurs. Coming in at number 11, it's Portland. Or, it is Portland. It's Damian Lillard. And you you want to say it with me? He's a little bitch. Coming in at number... Or, excuse me, it's the Portland Trailblazers at number 11. Coming in at number... What the hell? Yeah, Josh is having hella internet issues tonight. <laughs> we can't even hear the guy. Imagine imagine if Ken Swanson is like, I'm going to listen to one of their last podcasts before I come on. And he makes it here and just hears, it's fucking, fucking, fucking 13 seed fuck. fuck. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? It's the... Yeah. Uh... All right, coming in at number 10, my name's JT Redick. I'm a little bitch. Because Zion Williams is a fucking pest. It's a Portland art. New Orleans Pelicans. Yes, the New Orleans Pelicans. Yes. Coming in at number nine, it is, my name's Lil Logo. I like to hear it from the logo. I airball it 99 of 100 times, but when I make it that one time, I get out of sex for my bitch. It's LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, shitters. Coming in at number eight, it's America's most hated team, and that's damn sure. It's a fucking Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> Coming in at number seven. Say it with me, boys. I, I like, like Popeyes. McDonald's and Popeyes. I like that's not racist. McDonald's, and that's not racist. That's Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh. All right, there's your race for the 10th seed. Yeah, um, not going to lie. I kind of think the, the seven, eight, and nine seed. I think the Timberwolves could give someone a problem come postseason time. I'm not even going to lie. I think they could make a good first-round series. Depends who they get stuck with. But I think that I could actually, like, I don't know where I was going. Yeah, you know I, I, I was about to say, you just go ahead and stop while you're ahead. John. Let me just say, the Los Angeles Clippers, I hate them. Why? You know how good they would be if everybody was healthy? Like, <laughs> yep. mm. So, so I'm assuming you like Tyron Lue now, right? Oh, yes. No, 100% of reconciled with Tyron Lue, even though I still think that, like, a lot of times it's obvious that we need to just stop playing Avitsa Zubak. Like, yeah. literally, that's the one thing that drives me nuts. He can be is a... We will co- consistently perform better 
playing small ball. The seven through nine seed has not changed since December. I don't know if you guys have realized. Josh, you just cut in the middle of us, you dick. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Josh is having bad internet, so we'll go ahead and end the podcast. Oh, I know. You two get your D4 to the weeks out. No, oh, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What? That's he a great one. Freaking Ukraine. I mean, that's, geez. that's such an obvious one, but I didn't think of it. We're the sports <laughs> podcast, and it came out of left field. What? Is... How did it come out of left field? Did you think it was going to be Antonio Conte or some shit? Like, no. I didn't expect it to be Tottenham because you told me not Tottenham, but I was not expecting Putin. <laughs> Vladimir, also, Josh, an honorable mention to Roman Abramovich. He's got to sell Chelsea FC because he's got a close working relationship with Putin and he's totally called meetings with him and met with him at the Kremlin before. So you can't go to the team if you've ever done Mizzou's that. AD, the girl, what's her name, Francis or some shit? A fucking bitch. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and that'll do it. For so we have so what a trio we have this week of D Fords of the week. We've had the Mizzou AD, Rob Manfred, and Vladimir Putin. Not one not one athlete this week. Um, that'll do it for this week's edition of Primetime Kansas City. We'll catch y'all next week. Peace.